0: Jewish women talk about midlife. Hi, I'm Javara Krasniansky, and I've been coaching women for a long time in all areas of life, including women in midlife. Midlife is an exciting time, but it's also confusing, and so I invite experts to join me here as we unpack this crazy and interesting time of our lives. You can join our conversations on our Facebook group, Jewish Women Talk About Midlife, and on our website, Jewish Midlife. As women, we experience natural hormonal changes as we age including a decrease in estrogen levels. This hormonal shift can contribute to lots of changes in our body and in our lives. In this episode, we spoke about how the decrease in estrogen can weaken our bones. While the general recommendation is to do a bone density scan at 65, I was advised to do one way earlier than that, and I have osteopenia. I now know what I can do to mitigate the challenges of weakening bones, invited Dr. Jackie Goldman to share about bone health for midlife and beyond, what we need to know and ought to be doing so that we keep our bones strong. Dr. Goldman shared practical tips and evidence-based recommendations tailored specifically for women in our age group, enabling us to make informed decisions and to take proactive steps toward maintaining and improving our bone health. We spoke about lifestyle changes, food, supplements, and exercises. She also spoke about different treatments to know about when speaking to your doctor. This episode is jam packed with information about bone health. Good evening all, I'm Devara Krasniansky from Jewish Women Talk About Midlife. And here on our podcast and on our uh, webinars and our Facebook group, we talk about all aspects about midlife. We talk about uh, health, menopause, what's happening for us emotionally, mentally, physically, and cover lots of different topics. And so I'm really excited to talk about bone health as an issue for me, myself, and in our family. So I'm really thankful so to you, Dr. Goldman, for talking about this. I also wanna thank Joma for collaborating with us on this important topic about bone health. And I'm not gonna talk much about it because Dr. Goldman knows so much more, but. It is an issue for us women at uh, midlife. Menopause really brings a change into our bones and lots of other aspects, which we'll cover in other topics. So thank you, Dr. Goldman. Thank you, Joma. And let's just get started into this. As we get started, uh, Jackie, Dr. Goldman, can you talk a little bit more about the work that you do and specifically about bone health?
1: Sure. So hi, everyone. It's nice for people to join us on a very busy weeknight. Um, I am very excited about this topic. I am in pediatrics training, which is a little bit of a different population than this topic is geared toward, but I I do want to say that bone health really begins from a young age and continues throughout a woman's life cycles. So we do try to enforce good habits in young people, uh, making sure that they're exercising, making sure that they're taking care of their bones by taking the right vitamins, um, having a nutrient rich diet that's gonna help create healthier bones for down the line. Um, And I think especially with summer coming up where people are more active or often outside more, there are good opportunities to exercise, but also we have to be aware of safety measures to protect our bones. Joma, Joma is an organization run exclusively by Orthodox female physicians. Um, We are a non-for-profit organization But one of our main goals aside for supporting trainees, students, different people that are interested in going into the medical field, specifically becoming physicians, we also do a lot of community work, whether it's in-person events, whether it's um, events, you know, in a shul setting, um, in hospitals. We have all sorts of ways that we involve our community and really provide education, flyers, videos. For schools, you name it, we do it. So if anyone has any questions or suggestions, you can email info at Joma, All right. So I don't know, uh, you know, everyone on the Zoom, since we're pretty anonymous here, but I would imagine that the average age group ranges where many people here are more in the middle aged range and above. Um, but I do want to, like I said, mention again, that bone health really applies at any every age and stage of life. Um, we screen ourselves for bone density when we get a little bit older, but there are ways to keep our bones healthy and active even at a young, from a young point in our lives. So just to give a little bit of intro, um, bone density screening, like I mentioned, is something that does usually occur later on in, in life, but by a primary care doctor, and that's a way to identify how strong the bones are. We know that as we age, the density or the strength of our bones weaken over time, which makes us more prone to fractures. So young children are also, you know, are prone to fractures more because they're extremely active and they're jumping and running. Um, older people tend to experience fractures more so because of the health of their bone. Their bones thin and become more brittle over time. So then. Reason why it's important to do bone density screening is because bone density actually detects, like I said, the health of our bone, and there are different stages. So, just this diagram is helpful. It Shows you that a healthy bone has a lot of calcified bone in the center. Um, osteopenia, which is the, the picture in the middle, shows how some of the calcify, calcification. Um, is less prominent. And osteoporosis, that usually occurs over time. You go from osteopenia to osteoporosis. And that really shows when the bone is starting to really thin and wear out. And that's when the bone is most um, susceptible to fracture. So we usually start screening for bone density if a woman is 65 years and older. But obviously, if a woman is at higher risk And we can talk about that a little bit more after, Um, then it's important to get screened from an early age. But really, in terms of recommendations um, from medical societies, we do say when a woman turns 65, she should start getting bone density screening. And I just wanted to actually highlight, so I said if you're 65 or older, you should definitely get um, a bone density screening. If you're lower than the age of 65, younger than 65, but you're a higher than normal risk, then you might want to talk to your doctor about getting screened earlier. So what kinds of things are warning signs that you're at higher risk for osteoporosis? Um, If you had any bone fracture um, after the age of 50 years old, so between that window of 50 to 65, you have sudden back pain, you've noticed that you've lost height, or you have stooped posture, um, you're on medications that are known to thin bones. And we'll talk about that as well. Um, if you have a bone threatening medical condition, or you have a family history of osteoporosis or fracture, that's another important reason to get screened. So in terms of bone density screening, it sounds pretty involved. It sounds a little scary, but it's actually very straightforward. And that's what the image on the screen is showing. Um, bone density screening, it's a test that measures a bone mineralization in the bone, and we typically look at the hip, the spine, or the forearm. Um, it's usually the test that's used as a DXA. It's just a sophisticated x-ray um, that looks at bone density, and it's important to have the person positioned in a certain way so that we can actually take a look at the hip or spine bones um, more carefully. It uses a very low dose of x-ray to measure bone density, and it can identify early stages of osteoporosis before symptoms appear. It really just takes minutes. So I know a lot of people have questions on radiation during these types of screening tests. Um, You know, people hear that it, there's an x-ray. Again, this is a low dose of x-ray. And the important thing is to detect osteoporosis early so that a person can be put on the appropriate medications to prevent bone breakdown, further bone breakdown. And and especially fractures, because we all know, and maybe some of us have family members that unfortunately have had uh, fractures, hip fractures, um, like fractures at an elderly age. And really life expectancy actually decreases significantly when an older person does go through one of those things. Having a hip fracture is, is life-altering. People lose a sense of mobility, lose a sense of doing their activities of daily living. So we generally do try to screen for osteoporosis um, at an age when people are most susceptible, above 65, or younger if they have one of the risk factors mentioned.
0: I'm wondering what would be the harm in taking the test a little bit younger than 65 if you're not necessarily in any of those risk factors?
1: Um, I don't know that there's an exact risk for it. It just, uh, it's not considered absolutely necessary. And generally, I think The sense is that people's bone mineralization stops at a certain age, but bone breakdown really starts at a certain age. So we're trying to capture it when it's occurring. Um, And if a person doesn't really have risk factors, we wouldn't expect it to happen at a younger age. So we want to capture it when the bone demineralization is most obvious and most detectable. Okay, DXA scoring, so what does it mean? Some, some of you may have already gotten a bone density test, might be familiar with some of these terms, but for many people they're unfamiliar terms. So the way that the scoring is done for this test is uh, the bone is assigned a T-score. So it's basically comparing a young healthy person's bone with uh, of the same gender. So a female to a male, uh, to a female and a male to a male. And it's just assigning a score. Anything that's negative one or higher is considered normal. Uh, A T score between negative one and negative two point five indicates osteopenia, and two point five or lower indicates osteoporosis. So just remembering our basic elementary math: as you um, with a negative number, the higher the number, actually the lower the value, right? Because you're going in the negative scale. So. Negative one to negative 2.5 is osteopenia. It's basically the precursor for osteoporosis, like we saw in that very first image. Um, 2.5, negative 2.5 or lower, you're already in the osteoporosis zone. Um, The DXA scoring system also provides a T-score that compares uh, bone density in somebody of the same age, gender, and body size. It's used to help um, determine the cause of low bone density. So it's not just, you know, do you have low bone density or not? but it also helps determine the cause. Um, if we're talking about negative two or lower, then that's like already like a pretty, pretty low um, bone density, which makes sense, right? Cause you're already in that almost osteoporosis, but still osteopenia range. All right, if we go on to the next slide, we'll talk a little bit about scoring further, ah, osteopenia, okay. Um, All right. So low bone density that is not severe enough to be classified as osteoporosis, kind of that middle picture that's the precursor um, is osteopenia. You don't have to develop osteoporosis if you have osteopenia, you're just at increased risk. And that's often what does occur over time. But if you're able to treat your osteopenia um, through things like lifestyle modifications, exercise, balanced diet specifically in calcium and vitamin D, um, and sometimes medications that can help prevent bone loss. So people ask all the time, you know, in terms of diet, um, and supplementation doctors don't generally recommend extra vitamins or supplementation above, um, above a regular balanced diet that includes things like dairy, leafy greens, You know, sources of protein like meat. Um, you know, a lot of our cereals are fortified. But one thing that most people do need a supplement is their vitamin D. Uh, we get a lot of our vitamin D from sun, less so from our diet. And vitamin D requires at least 20 minutes of sun exposure a day, 15 to 20 minutes. Very few people get 15 to 20 minutes of direct sunlight exposure a day. That means sitting outside you're facing the sun, just relaxing, looking at the sunlight um, or being in an outdoor setting for enough time that you're really getting the necessary vitamin D. So there are many formulations of vitamin D supplementation. Um, There are daily supplements that can range between 1,000 IUs or international units to 2,000 or what a lot of people do prefer and might even in some ways be just easier because you'll take it once a week is the once a week, 50,000 IE pill. So it's really easy. You take it once a week. These are generally prescribed by your doctor. Um, whereas the 1000 you can easily buy over the counter. Um, but it's it's just a once a week and you want to take it with uh, food. You don't want to take it alone. You want to take it with a food that's like fatty food, um, like a good protein or something that has a higher fat content is the best way for your body to absorb vitamin D. Um, like I said, there is vitamin D in like fortified cereals, um, but generally it's it's not always enough because most of it does come from sunlight, and the majority of people, especially in the Northeast, are definitely vitamin D deficient. Vitamin D is not only linked toward important bone and um, muscle health, but it can really be useful. Some, there are some studies that show that there's a link between vitamin D and fertility um, and reproductive health. So we want to try to supplement. In terms of calcium, calcium is something that really is found more naturally in our diet. So especially dairy foods, but you need at least like two servings of dairy, which I think very few people get. Um, so if you feel like you're one of those people that does get a lower serving of calcium a day, you can also buy calcium over the counter and you need a much smaller dose of calcium, um, to get the sufficient amount. But, um, you know, having, having two servings of dairy generally covers you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about medications, but I think it's reassuring for people to hear that having a balanced diet with calcium and vitamin D and taking those supplements, if you need, as well as exercising alone can be helpful in preventing the progression of osteopenia. Um, cause Um, they want to do things, you know, the more natural way, which, which in some cases works better than others. But I think there are, you know, some things that we can even start at a younger age. And we really recommend all all women of reproductive age are on calcium and vitamin D supplements. Certainly those that are deficient. We talked about osteopenia and then there's osteoporosis, which again, T score lower than negative 2.5. This is the condition where bones are becoming weak and brittle because there's loss of bone mass and density. This is when we're at the highest risk for fractures, especially of the hips, spine, and wrist. This is when you notice that people tend to lose height because their um, vertebrae of their spine are either partially, becoming, are partially fractured in certain areas or just there's less bone mineralization. And we really want to do early detection because we want to make sure that we're treating it appropriately, but we also want to prevent any fractures or future complications. Okay, so in terms of osteoporosis risk factors, so who is at increased risk? Some of these are more obvious than others. I think most people realize, and I've mentioned from the beginning, age is probably one of the biggest risk factors. Um, As we age, it's a natural process. Um, It's difficult to completely halt it, though. like I mentioned, um, for anyone that has family members that are in their teens, 20s, 30s, all the reproductive ages, um, it's important to try to start the calcium and vitamin D supplementation and exercising early on at that age so that you can try to prevent it down the line. Um, gender is obviously also a huge risk factor. Uh, women are more predisposed than men because of decreasing estrogen levels. So during puberty, estrogen actually helps um, the growth plates of growing uh female teenagers bones kind of, or preteens bones um, calcify and ossify. And we're, when we age, we're decreasing our estrogen levels. So it actually has the reverse effect um, and it makes bones more prone toward osteoporosis. So especially after menopause, and that's why we were talking about, you know, ages. So the process starts around menopause, but really the osteoporosis that it does take time. The osteoporosis becomes most detectable at around, you know, mid to late sixties. Family history is another huge factor. And that's when we were talking about why would anyone get early screening? Um, If somebody has a strong family history of osteoporosis, um, it's worth speaking to your doctor early, as soon as, as early on as 50 years old about getting screened for osteoporosis. Um, especially if, and also, I shouldn't say especially, but also if there's a family history of fractures, even if it's never been, you know, classified as osteoporosis, but family members that have had fractures um, throughout midlife, then it's worth talking to your doctor as well. The other thing is race and ethnicity. Caucasian and Asian women are um, more predisposed toward osteoporosis than women of other races. That's not to say that um, women of, all races can't get osteoporosis, but that's generally the most common population. Interestingly, low body weight is another risk factor. People tend to think that, um, you know, being thinner and and trimmer is protective toward most diseases, which it really is for things like diabetes, high cholesterol. Um, but for osteoporosis specifically, having a low BMI or body mass mass index is actually. Um, a risk factor toward forming it hormone levels. So this kind of makes sense with talking about why women are more predisposed, but lower levels of estrogen um, in a woman, even lower levels than, than normal. So going through menopause, but if a woman for whatever reason is on some sort of hormone suppression or, or she just has lower estrogen levels, she's at a higher risk of osteoporosis. Certain medical conditions can also um, increase a person's risk. And part of this is because of the actual medical conditions. Part of it is because of the medications that people are on for these conditions. But conditions like celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease, which includes Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and rheumatoid arthritis are all on this list. Medications, specifically, so people worry, you know. Oh, I had asthma as a kid. I was on an inhaler, steroid-based inhaler. Am I at predis? You know, am I at a higher risk? The truth is, slightly. Um, it's more the case for people that take um, systemic steroids or oral steroids, especially over a short period of time. Um, that often do take steroids throughout, you know, different points in their life are at a higher risk of osteoporosis. Um, And many medical conditions are treated with steroids. Um, So if that's something that you've been on at at any point in your life, it's worth talking to your doctor also about getting screened at an earlier age. Lifestyle factors, another big one. So smoking, um, smoking is usually not good for people, but in this case, it also increases the risk of osteoporosis, drinking a lot of alcohol, and lack of physical activity, um, having a diet low in calcium and vitamin D, or just even if you have a very nutrient-rich diet, just like I said, not getting enough sun exposure, not having enough vitamin D. And most primary care doctors now do screen for vitamin D level. There's a huge range of what's normal, um, but anything lower than that should get supplemented. And like I mentioned, there's a few different ways to supplement it. So we already talked about a very balanced diet. So we already talked about, um, good calcium and vitamin D, um, sources like dairy products, leafy green vegetables. So that's your, spinach kale. um, that's your arugula, those types of, you know, really darker greens. Oh, okay, fine. So let's talk about fall prevention. So preventing slides are important. Um, having an environment that helps us reduce falls is important. Um, People with osteoporosis and osteopenia are particularly at risk from breaking a bone with a fall. Um, So some of these, again, are more obvious, removing tripping hazards, having clear spaces, um, you know, sometimes having things on one level, that's just easier for an older person to get around, but also actively um, installing and I guess, you know, just like you would baby proof a house, make a house, livable for an elderly person, whether, you know, obviously nobody wants their independence taken away from them. Everyone wants to feel comfortable and feel young, but we have to do what's safest for those that we care about. So installing grab bars and handrails in the bathroom and the tub, um, making sure that there's good lighting, don't fall on trip, um, and also staying active um, and working specifically on strength and balance. So this is a good place where allied health professionals come in OTs, PTs that work on, you know, uh, strengthening the core and working on balance, doing a handful of exercises a day. And this is even something that a lot of primary care doctors can help out with, um, having like pamphlets or leaflets on just very simple 10 minutes a day of exercising. Um, to strengthen the core and help with, and help with balance. That's, you know, even if a person does have osteoporosis or osteopenia, as long as, you know, they're able to be on the right medication, um, if they need to be, and also try to avoid any sorts of falls that could predispose them to a fracture, you know, that's really what the best that they can do. So treatment options. Um, great. So we do have some treatments available. Some of these might be new to some people. Some of these might even be medications that some people in this group are on. Um, the first class of our medications are bisphosphonates. So those can help slow the breakdown of bone tissue and they can increase bone density. Commonly are often first line medications for osteoporosis. Um, they're not the only medication. Also hormone therapy that increases bone density. We already talked about how low estrogen can be involved in um, bone breakdown and demineralization. Reloxaphine is another medication that can help prevent bone loss. And again, I know these are not detailed in terms of each medication, but these are the kinds of things. If a person were to be started, they should talk to their doctor. Um, there's denosumab, which helps reduce the risk of fractures by slowing the breakdown of bones. This is actually an injection um that's a little bit newer on the market but at pretty effective um that can actually help as well there's teriparatide that can help build new bone tissue and increase bone density um bisphosphonates are still again some of the first line agents often the most commonly prescribed um and there's a lot of them on the market so there's some of these might sound familiar but there's like alendronate or fosamax um so that's like a weekly Pills. Some of these are weekly pills. There's also Boniva, which is like a monthly pill. So there's, there's definitely different options for people, depending on your lifestyle. Um, Denusumab is also helpful um, instead of bisphosphonate in people that have poor kidney function, or if they have any sort of kidney damage that prevents them from being on the bisphosphonates. And like I said, it's more of a, it's an injection rather than a pill um, But then we also have surgery as an option, not as a, an option to treat osteoporosis, but more so to stabilize. If there is a fracture um, due to osteoporosis, then sometimes surgery might be indicated or a hip replacement surgery in cases of a severe hip fracture. I just wanted to go back quickly onto that um, prevention slide. Yeah, I think this is a good finishing slide because I think this will... Give people hope that, you know, it's not just about, like I said, strong medication or, you know, fractures and surgery, but there are ways to prevent bone demineralization, diet rich in calcium, vitamin D, dairy products, leafy green vegetables, fortified cereals, exercising regularly, specifically weight bearing exercise, walking, running and weight lifting um, are the most effective for building up and maintaining bone mass. Avoiding smoking and excessive alcohol use, and then making sure to prevent falls in the home, so removing any hazards and using assistive devices as needed. All right, um, I so actually I do think that kind of answered this question. Uh, I hope some foods and exercises, so things like kale, things like fortified cereals, um, yogurt, and then exercise would be weightlifting would be ideal, but even things like walking or running could all be a very good um,
0: starter for helping with bone health. I'm just gonna jump in on that. We just interviewed uh, Shara Zuckerman about some specifically about uh, uh, weight bearing exercises. So we can check that podcast episode out. Uh, so there's a lot there. So she has specific exercises, things that are easy enough to learn how to do and to actually do. So while walking walking is wonderful, she was talking about more specific exercises. So we can look for that. I'll put it in the show notes also. And there was another another question that came in. Do you want to answer that one about a specific
1: supplement? Caffeine and bone health. That's an interesting question. I've never heard that there's any correlation between caffeine and bone health. So not that I'm aware of. Um, I mean, caffeine is a stimulant and it can affect more of like concentration and cognitive, but I wouldn't think that it has any connection. Um between that, maybe there are more recent studies that are showing that, um, I'm actually trying to see if I, if I can quickly look it up and I've seen that there are apparently some studies, but I would imagine it would have to be a very high concentration of caffeine intake. Um, so it's a good question. You know, I, I'm sure that there's a lot of conflicting data because most people do drink cat coffee and caffeine on a regular basis. Um, and there are some good effects of, I don't want to say necessarily coffee, but like green teas that have antioxidants. So, with anything, it's always just about doing things in measure, unless it's something that's really terrible for you, like smoking, um, which has absolutely zero benefits, but doing things in moderation and with measure. Uh, does anyone have any other questions?
0: So, there was this other question about Garden of Life vitamin code, grow bone. People say it's an effective supplement. What are your thoughts?
1: Um,
0: I don't know exactly what's inside of this specific
1: supplement. I do think the Garden of Life products are generally good products. But if it's, if it has, you know, you always have to like read the nutrition facts and labels carefully. Um, If it just has things like vitamin D and calcium, then you don't necessarily need to buy any specific brand or something that's marketed as a grow bone system, just looking at the nutrition label online, it looks like a big active ingredient in it is growth, uh, is calcium. So I think this, you know, I think it might be, you know, the the way that they market it, but I'm sure if the active ingredients are things like calcium, then it's probably just as good to take regular plain old calcium over the counter from a different brand as this Um, it looks like it has some magnesium and some other supplements, but the main active I'm looking at the, the first few listed ingredients, which are, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, calcium, and magnesium. So these are all just minerals that you can find pretty much in a multivitamin, um, or even just by buying vitamin D and calcium on their own should be sufficient, but these are just plant extracted versions of these vitamins. So you can take it. I I think it's a pretty safe supplement, but I don't think that you necessarily need to take this brand for good bone health. It looks like it has also some probiotics, which are more good for your gut and your intestine. Um, and having a good, healthy gut and intestine actually helps with calcium and vitamin D absorption. Vitamin D is absorbed in your gut. So having good gut health can help with that. That's why people with things like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's are predisposed to um, bone loss because they are often um, deficient in in fat absorption uh, fat absorbing vitamins like vitamin K, A, D and E are all absorbed by our gut um, and they all require good fat absorption in our intestine. Um, okay, so I hope I answered that question. There's somebody else that asked I'm hearing things that calcium supplements need to be plant-based otherwise they are ineffective. Um, I don't think so because we get calcium in things like yogurt, um, which is an animal based product. So I don't think having plant based versus, um, versus animal based make much of a difference. Um, honestly, there's calcium and just a lot of our diet, like vitamin D and I'm sorry, like dairy products and, and some vegetables. So it doesn't have to be plant-based, but you can also have dairy, and that's a good, really good source of calcium. Milk, you just need a large volume of it. So, what these pills do is they're very concentrated, which is why some people like to take them. Is I wouldn't there a better say time in
0: the day to take the supplements like before eating, after eating in the morning, evening.
1: So, um, vitamin D is best absorbed with food. Um, you generally want to take it with food so that it actually gets absorbed properly. Um, And most of these vitamins are generally better absorbed with food. There are some exceptions, and because I'm mainly just talking about vitamin D and calcium, I would say eat them with food.
0: So together with your breakfast or together with your lunch? Yeah, you can take it with your,
1: yeah, you can take it with breakfast or lunch, but it's not about the time of day you take it. It's more about taking it with food. And being consistent. Exactly.
0: being consistent in taking it, but being consistent in the, t- in the time of day or is less- um,
1: that matter. No, it matters less to be consistent in the time of day. But if there's a, if there's like a system, that's why I personally like the 50,000 IU vitamin D because you only have to take it once a week. So you can take it like every Sunday morning and just for your own habit to have it, to know that you've taken it, but you can take it one day in the morning and different day in the afternoon, as long as you're taking it with meals, it doesn't really make a difference.
0: And the meals that I, I heard before is that it has to have some level of fat in it so that it, the vitamin D is absorbed? Correct. So just like popping them in without water even is not a good idea.
1: Right. So it's best to take it with food. Um, yeah. And you always want to take these things with a lot of water that actually also helps with
0: absorption. Interesting. So that's why some people keep their vitamins in the kitchen. So that's next to the water. Right. Okay. So what about weighted vests? As some people are recommending weighted vests to add some more weight to to a general exercise.
1: Um, I think that's the same thing as doing like weighted. Um, some people like to exercise with weights on your legs. I think that's just all included in the weight bearing exercise. So I think you it doesn't have to be on your body. You can also just lift weights, but if you think that that's going to increase your weight bearing that's fine meaning you have the option of wearing something weighted or you have the option of just lifting weights and either should be a good way to increase your bone mass but it doesn't have to be weighted vests; it can also be just lifting weights
0: or some sort of resistance is also a bone from what i understand I'm sorry, resistance. Resistance resistance
1: exercises are also strong. Correct. Exactly. And another type of exercises which I briefly touched on, but when we talked about um, fall prevention is also doing exercises that are good for falls. So that's things like balance exercises, putting your back against the wall and um, trying to balance, position your back against that and then lifting one leg up or having something above your head against a wall. These are all different, uh, uh, more postural related and more um, balance. And again, I'm not a physical therapist. It's not something I do on a daily basis, but definitely speaking to a physical therapist about balance exercises is important. So important for elderly people.
0: And so we're we're talking about midlife people. So I'm not quite elderly, but I think it's a good habits to get into. So of course have, have the balance that we need and actually continue doing the exercises when it's maybe a little easier for us to do the exercise and just become part of our routine all the way through the rest of our lives.
1: Right. For sure. And also just to, um, you know, I think sometimes people don't realize that aging is a process and it's gradual and doing things that you are so comfortable doing even before you quote
0: unquote, need to do them. will just, make it that much easier later on that's what i'm thinking that we soon we start doing it so that becomes a habit and then start when our bodies are a little bit more nimble so that we can actually do it doesn't become as difficult that you have to start doing when it's harder for you right today's a perfect day to start exactly for sure somebody
1: asked about balance exercising so these are things like i said using either something weighted over your head and putting your back against a wall that's also just holding a ball and standing on one foot for you know a little bit of time um balancing on something. so there are like balanced mats do you need to you know I, I feel very strongly that when we're talking about practical lifestyle tips having to buy extra equipment and gear that's not found around your house can kind of it looks nice and it seems like it'll be helpful but People don't end up necessarily using, using these things, but even, um, you know, using things like uh, stairs, if you have a staircase in your house, practice going up and down or, or um, lunges can all help with balance or stepping up and down from a stair downwards again, can also be a balanced exercise, but even things that you can just do with one leg lifted in the air um, with your hands on your hips or your hands holding a ball. Those are all good examples of balance exercises.
0: And we also did so another podcast, which I'll also put in the show notes about different exercises, including balance exercises. So that will be there too. Great. So any other final thoughts? I know for myself, when I did my bone scan, it was a very it was a very simple procedure. Mm-hmm. I actually took some pictures of the bone scan machine because some people were a little concerned how. That would be scary hard like a mammogram is a totally different experience this right. was very simple it was just like lay there on the uh, lay there on the on the bed and she'll move the machine and it was very simple it was actually right. shorter than i thought it was going to be and simpler than i thought it was going to be so i really encourage anyone that if it's at all in your history or any you have any of those risk factors to just do it Sooner than later, it's really not invasive at all. It's quite simple. The longest part was waiting in the waiting room than the actual. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. What um, I also heard is that when you you should be able to go to a place where you will be able to do your next scan in the same place. Because if you scan it in a different machine or a different place, the results may not be able to see the progress.
1: Um, well, a lot of these images can be put on a disk, but it is a more of a hassle on you as the patient, like doctor's offices and these imaging facilities don't tend to easily give records to other places, you have to request them. So I do think it is easiest if you can go to the same place on a yearly basis.
0: But more specifically about the machines themselves, not only the practice, but the machine itself, they said to go back to the same place, which has the same machine. In terms of the calibration?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think every machine is calibrated slightly different. Um, and you, if you know, like I mentioned, there's a T score, there are Z scores, there are different measures that, um, are going to be used. So I think just having, going to the same place, having the standardized, same numeric system being used is probably the easiest if you're able to go, but if you're not able to go to the same place because you move or you're in a different location, then there are ways to get your records transferred. I just think I agree. If you're able to go to the same place, it just
0: simplifies things. So if you're going for your first time, think about if you'll be able to go to this place a second time, like just because something you happen to be, let's say in the country and you want to do your bone scan, then yes, it may be shorter lines, but you're not going to have to do your your follow-up there necessarily. So just things to consider. And And just
1: in general, once you're in a, once you're in the system for any doctor's office or dentist, I'm sure everyone knows they have you in their system. So they'll give you like annual reminders or phone calls. So it's always helpful. I find that very helpful when you get the text message saying you're overdue for this, or you have to go to this appointment. Um, It's just nice to be reminded.
0: And again, what I specifically, because I've heard this from several people, that's why I'm actually bringing it up. So even though you may be in the system, like NYU has a huge system, you still, they say to still use the same machines because they are calibrated differently. So. Is, right you know we could find out you can ask them but it's something to consider thank That's, you very much for having me and this was very helpful you covered a lot and a lot to consider and as far as uh, healthier diets and exercises we have those uh, we had other podcasts that went into them in depth so we can talk I'll put those in the show notes so thank you very much to Dr. Goldman thank you Joma uh, if there are any remaining questions, you can email info at joma.org. And thank you all for joining us tonight. If you have any other questions, any other health questions or any other questions about midlife, you can definitely reach out and we'll see if we can get someone to talk about it or we can talk about it together. So you can join us on our Facebook group, which is facebook, uh, dot com slash group slash Jewish Women Talk About Midlife, or on our website, jewishmidlife.com. Thank you for joining me in another fascinating conversation about midlife. If you'd like to reach me, Devara Krasniansky, to talk about your midlife or anything else, you can reach me at jewishmidlife at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, jewishmidlife.com, and follow us on Jewish Midlife on Instagram or Facebook, and join our conversations in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups, slash Jewish women talk about midlife and share what we're doing with your friends and others in the midlife phase.